We're going we're gonna to pick up where we left off. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody, who knows what I'm talking about? The series that I've been going through with you guys for, oh, it's been five years. Anybody remember? The Songs of Ascents. The Songs of Ascents, which start in Psalm 120, go all the way through Psalm 134. And we got up through Psalm 128 last time, and we're going to be in Psalm what? You're good. You're good. Psalm 129. Math. You, how many math majors? Didn't take you long to figure that out. Psalm 129. I've changed the title of the message, but just a little bit. Um, I don't know if the, the, there was a title slide anywhere, but if there was, you need to change it for anything that you're going to put like on, on recordings and all that. It's still going to say, here we go again, but I want you to slam the words together so they look like one word and put a hashtag at the beginning, okay? So hashtag, here we go again. How many of you know what I mean by here we go again? Anybody ever said it like that? Turn to the person next to you, look them in the eyes, and with not, not disgust, but just like, oh my goodness, no. Just look them in the eyes and say, here we go again. And you'll know what I'm talking about in just a little bit. Open your Bible to Psalm 129. I want to tell you how much I love that new song. Um, Song, music, melody, lyric, even instrumental song is powerful. How many of you would agree with that? How many of you put on music to study? Now, I got to see the hands of those who put on like either hard rock music or heavy metal or anything loud and energetic to study. Let me see the hands of those. What is wrong with you people? I don't know how you can concentrate, but if that knocks you into study mode, that's fine. But music is powerful. And I think music was meant to do these two things, especially for the believer in Christ. It is meant to be a tool of worship, but it is also a weapon against our enemy. When he comes against us to, well, I don't know what he does with you, but I know he discourages me. I know that's his hope. It's to leave me hopeless. I know his design is to somehow just bring me down, depress me, distress me, and uh, abandon me in my mess, but that seems to be what he does. So those songs, are, they really are worship and they are weapons in our hands against the enemy, even while we're worshiping God. I don't have that miracle figured out, but I'm glad that it works that way. I'm, I'm not even consciously using it as a weapon, as a sword against the enemy, But his word embedded in music when I'm lifting my voice to God to praise him, the devil hates it. So I just want to encourage you to do what the song told you to do. Sing a little louder. Raise up your voice more often. Sing a what? A hallelujah or two or 10 or 10,000 every day. Find, you don't need to find an excuse, but time and time and time and time again every day. Lift up your voice, lift up your head, eyes wide open. Even if you're looking at the mess that you're in and the challenge that you're in and say, hallelujah. You want to say it with me? Hallelujah. Say it with some gusto. Hallelujah. Amen. You won't offend God if you even say it like that because you're kind of shouting against the stuff you're in. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say the stuff that you're in? How many are in some stuff right now? You're in stuff and we're all going to be in stuff until we get to the heavenly stuff, which is pretty good stuff. And we get home and the stuff is going to change. But in Psalm 129, here we go again. The Psalms that we've looked at have had a, uh, and you can get them all back. I mean, you can go, you can go look them up and, and you can find them. I, in fact, I, I got a hold of Jesse 
who led us in worship. I love that young man. I love the whole family. But um, he said, hey, what are you going to be preaching on? I said, why don't you tell me? Why don't you go ask back in the, you know, the, the, the records what I preached on last because I couldn't remember where I was. And so it was Psalm 129, but we've been through in these other psalms with all kinds of reflection. Remember, these are songs of progress. That's what the word in your Bible, ascents, means. I'm, I'm still in the process. I can't say how active I am right now. I'm not, it's kind of stalled for a little bit, but I'm still in the process of writing this book that I'm calling uh, Take a Hike. And the, um, turn to the person next to you and say, no, don't say that. But, <laughs> but it has a subtitle, and here's a subtitle. 15 mountains that every believer has to climb. Like it or not, you're gonna go through these times. And uh, sometimes of desperation, Sometimes of reflection, sometimes of just absolute gratitude as you, as, you, as you remember the name of the person who invited you to come to Jesus. And maybe there's 10 or 15 like there was with me, but that, maybe that final name of that person who said, what are you waiting for? You can't get yourself that clean. I, I told this person, I got to clean myself up before I come to God. And she said, Bill, that's ridiculous. That's like saying you got to take a bath in order to take a shower to get clean enough to take a shower. He'll clean you up. But it's that, that, that reflection when you remember that person and, and you say like the, the writer of, of Psalm 121, oh, how good it was. When, I mean, Psalm 122, when somebody said, oh, let's go to the house of the Lord. I remember the name of that person. You probably do too. But we've been through all kinds of movements. But here in Psalm 129, I want to read it to you in the New King James. And then I'm going to read it to you in the message translation. So would you stand as we read? You can even read it together with me if you want to in Psalm 129. Uh, Like I said, I'm reading in the New King James. If yours is anywhere close to that, just go ahead. If you're reading in the Amplified Version, how many of you remember that one? You'll finish about five minutes later than we do because it's much longer. So you just listen. Here it is. Psalm 129. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed on my back. They made their furrows long. The Lord is righteous. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. Let them be as the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he who binds sheaves his arms. Neither let those who pass by them say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Father in heaven, your word is beautiful. And like David said, may we find, may we see beautiful things in your word tonight. They will encourage us and shape us and change us and convict us and inform us on how to walk with you and how to walk with one another as we walk with you. Thank you, God, for your great, great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. Listen to this in a different translation. It's an extreme paraphrase that sometimes I don't agree with the paraphrase, but it's called the message. It says... I sure like the way it starts. It says, they've kicked me around ever since I was young. This is how Israel tells it. They've kicked me around ever since I was young, but they never could keep me down. 
Their plowmen plowed long furrows up and down my back. And then God ripped the harnesses off the evil plowmen to shreds. Oh, let all those who hate Zion grovel in humiliation. Let them be like grass in shallow ground that withers before the harvest, before the farm hands can gather it in. The harvesters get in the crop. Before the neighbors have a chance to call out, congratulations on your wonderful crop. We bless you in God's name. It's kind of an alive paraphrase. It, and obviously it, it, it kind of conveys the same, the same meaning, but this is really familiar. If you've been walking with Jesus, oh, maybe longer than four days. Anybody been a Christian longer than four days? Then you've got to say when you read this, oh, we've been here before. Or hashtag, here we go again. What? Trouble. Here we go again. And I just, I just need to tell you, you won't outrun trouble. You're going to walk through trouble. From here to heaven, it's going to happen. It's the most unpopular truth in Scripture, I think. At least one of the top three unpopular truths in Scripture is this. Jesus said it before he left his disciples. In this world, what? You will have tribulation, which means trouble and crisis. If you thought if somebody told you you would escape trial and tribulation and crisis and heartbreak, if you came to Jesus, you need to write them a one-word postcard. Send it to them. Don't, don't put it in an envelope. Write it really bold on the back of a postcard. It just says, liar. <laughs> it's just not true. You don't escape trouble by coming to Jesus. You just have, you, you, you have triumph over it now. You have victory over it now. You have a companion in the midst of it. He'll never leave you nor forsake you in the midst of the trouble that you walk through. If, if, you, if you would like, if your Bible's open there, hold your place in Psalm 129. Flip on back to Psalm 56. Look at this with me. 56 and uh, 57. We're going to just look at a few verses there. These two are written by David. The one we just read, we, we don't know who wrote that. Sounds Davidic to me, though. Listen to the, uh, just a few verses out of Psalm 56. I love the inscription to this one. And that's the little part between the title of the psalm and the first verse. It says, to the chief musician, let me tell you something. You're going to hear this? You could have written this song. If you were a poet, you could have written this song because you've been through this. To the chief musician set to, and I guess this is the tune, set to the silent dove in distant lands. I'd love to hear that song when we get to heaven. And when I see David, and I'll see David, I want to sit down with him, hand him a harp, and say, David, would you play that tune? I just want to hear the melody. I know the lyrics, but I want to hear the melody to the silent dove in the distant lands. It sounds like study music to me. It says a miktam, a certain kind of song when David, um, of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. And he said this, be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. For there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I've put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All day they twist my words. Has that ever happened to you? See, you could write this song. All day they twist my words. All their thoughts against me are evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps when they lie and wait for my life. Do you, do you have anybody in mind when I read those words? Is anybody, his name was Dennis Mattingly. 
and we were in junior high school together. And I just always tried to, to order my steps to stay away from Dennis Mattingly, but there was a day in the boys' restroom when he caught up with me. And oh my goodness, I, that's all you need to know. It was, it was a bad day. It was a bad day. Look over at Psalm 57. You can read the rest of that later. Same thing uh, to the chief musician. That means a worship leader. Set to, and here's the tune, do not destroy. And this is when he fled from Saul into the cave. You know that story. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. That, that would be a great name for a church. I will make my refuge. Until these calamities pass by. I will cry out to the Most High God, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up, and God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, not Aslan lions, not friendly lions to the believer. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire. He's describing them like they were dragons, hateful people whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue is a sharp sword. And in the middle of it, you know what he does? He sings a hallelujah. I hear his voice going louder here when he says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. And you can read the rest of that. He says, here I am in trouble, but God, in the middle of the trouble, you're gonna hear from me. You're gonna hear from me. Where? In the middle of the trouble. When the enemies are against me, when the lions are bearing down upon me, when the dragons are breathing their fire, God, you're going to hear from me. And this, is, this is the cry of a man just like these songs we're going through. Go back to Psalm 129. This is a man who, and it might even be one of David's psalms. One of the psalmists says this. It talks about the people who have their hearts set on pilgrimage. In, in other words, they're going somewhere. They're not wandering They have a destination, a destiny. They know they're moving towards a great, great place. And in in the middle of that, their heart is set on on pilgrimage, and so they're making progress. In fact, in some Bibles, these songs of ascents are called songs of progress or gradual songs. And they're songs that were sung by people who were going from point A to point B, and they knew and they were determined to get to point B. For me... Point B, and for you as believers, point B, and, and you can make a case for there being point A through Z, really. But the final destination is I will be with Jesus. I will be like Jesus when I see him face to face. Is that your destiny too? Is that your hope? It's your solid hope because it's true. You'll be with him. You'll be with him where? In heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, because you'll be a new you. All of that will be completed one day. I do this all the time. Turn to somebody and say, you're going to look a lot better then. You're going to look perfect then. You're going to be stronger then. You'll be like him then. You see him face to face. But let me tell you something and warn you, I guess, if, I, if you need a warning on this. Um, progress is a whole lot more than an easy stroll forward. Progress is a whole lot more than an easy stroll or a walk in the park or just a meandering down the beach on a sunny Southern California day. Sometimes, most times, it's pushing and pressing and fighting. And, and that journey is not over, you know this, the day that you raised your hand 
Do you want to receive Jesus? Then the preacher took another step forward and said, it's time for you to take a step forward and come down here. Come right down here. And how many of you remember the day you came forward? Anybody remember the day you came forward? If you had the idea that when you came forward, you were done coming forward, you've probably been backing up. Because when, when you leave here, you've got a whole lot more forward going to do. And the pilgrim that that we're describing in in Psalm 120 all the way through to 134 involves an awful lot. Pilgrimage involves an awful lot of going forward every day. When we leave here and when we sing our final song and, and, and Jesse or whoever dismisses you says, God bless you, grace and peace upon you. You know what we're doing? We're releasing you to war, to battle to challenge every day. If, if you don't like that idea, I don't mean to sound harsh and arrogant when I say this. I need to say it to myself. If you don't like that idea, get over it because you're going into the battle one way or another. How many of you want to win in the battle instead of giving in in the battle? And so you need to tell yourself, it's going to be a war. So put on the armor and walk forward, but that's another Bible study. So when you come forward, you got to keep going forward daily, every single day into ministry, into battle, carrying a cross, like Jesus said. This is the, one of the most wonderful paradoxes in the Bible, that the cross, when, when the Bible talks about, and Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Man, a, a guy who's crucified doesn't have much control over his life, does he? His hands are nailed down. His feet are nailed down. He's wearing a crown of thorns on his head. But the paradox is there's not not a freer place to be than to be under the charge of a loving master that as I've laid aside and crucified my old life, I get to live a new life under the command of Jesus. And I get to go live a life that when I'm at the end of it, I'm not going to look back and say, oh, I wish I would have. I'm going to look back and say, I'm so thankful. I, I, I might say something more about this precious lady but there's a woman in our fellowship who is just so close to going to heaven. Her name is Shirley, Shirley Mogg. And um, some of you, there might even be somebody in here who, who rents an office from her family. Her and her husband lived here in the South Bay area and they had commercial property, office property somewhere up in, in, in Palos Verdes. And uh, she's 92, almost 93. I walked into her hospital room yesterday and she's so close to the end, but she's beaming. And she's laying there in the bed sideways and she can't move much, but she's smiling at me when I come in. And the first thing she said to me is this. She said, Pastor Bill, why am I still here? (laughs) But she's smiling through, why am I still here? And I said, well, I know this much, Shirley. You're here right now for me because you just lifted my spirit. I I came here so you could minister to me. She said, do you think God still has something for me to do? I said, honey, I didn't say honey. I said to her, surely, that's honey. I didn't call her honey. I said, said, surely you ministered to me. When I walked in here and I saw your joy in the middle of this. And she's just, she's not stopping. She's carrying the cross, but she's carried that cross a long, long time. So back in Psalm 129, I want to move through this and I want to share a a relatively new song with you. And I'll I'll tell you the setting of that in just a minute. But in in verses one and two, it it starts with what they call, you you know the term antiphonal? Anybody know that that term antiphonal? Um, uh, Anybody remember this song? Talk about oldie and goodie, Jesse. This one's older than that one. Uh, I am so happy. 
two people are barely courageous enough to whisper it there. Antiphonal was, I am so happy. And then you'd sing, tell me why you're happy. So it's an antiphonal song we sing back and forth. And it starts that way in verse one. It says, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. And then the song says, let Israel say now. And that was the invitation for everyone to follow the leader and say, yes, many times they've afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. Many times they've afflicted me. He said, he said, let everybody say that. Let everyone admit it. That we as a nation, and this was specifically Israel, we as a nation have been through it with our enemies. Let let me read a list to you. Ancient Egypt, Philistines, Assyrian Empire, Babylon, Persian Empire, Greek Empire, Roman Empire, Byzantine Empire, the Crusaders, Nazi Germany, the USSR. What do all of those have in common? Enemies of Israel, and what else? They're gone. They're gone. Oh, there's still people that live in those regions, but the USSR is gone. The, the United Soviet Socialist Republic really is no more. And there's some people that wanted to come back, but all of those were, were nations and, and large people groups that, that fought against Israel. He said, they fought, but they're all gone. And, and, and yet in the Psalm, the Psalm writer is admitting, here we go again. There's so many that have afflicted us and here we go again. It, it, it's, it's not over. There's troubles in Middle Earth. There, there's troubles in the kingdom. And they, I don't know if they were expecting that it would be a walk in the park, but it wasn't a walk in the park for them. Life was filled with struggle. Eugene Peterson, who was the guy that put together the message translation, also wrote a book on the songs of ascents. I'm sure I've talked about that in one of the former messages on this over the last four or five years. But the title of the book, had a, it was just such a great title and a summary of all this. It's this, a long obedience in the same direction. Say that with me. A long obedience in the same direction. That is the life, that describes the life of a disciple of Jesus. A long obedience in the same direction, following Jesus Even on days when it feels like, well, we're certainly not going in a straight line. We're we're not flying like the crow flies. We're flying, it it feels, you know, more like a butterfly flies caught with wind, but it's not. Every movement is is purposeful. God leads leads us in the way where he gets us to where he needs us to be even in through the trial and through the trial, whatever it might be. And I wonder if this is what gave Eugene Peterson the idea for the title when he came to Psalm 129. And he heard the songwriter saying, here we go again, more trouble. The, see, you see the themes that we, we've looked at through the songs of Ascent, and now we're past the, the halfway point. It, they, they were songs of, of you know, the goodness of God that moved us through and the faithfulness of God and the realizing, oh, the trouble wasn't in my environment. The trouble was in me. And, and you find a God who's forgiving. And, and he, he talked to us in two of those psalms right in the middle, like the fulcrum point, the balancing point of the songs of ascent, verse, or the seventh and the eighth one in line. Whoever put them together, put them together in a masterful kind of a, 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 a line. But there, in those two, it was, it's family. How many of you have family? Probably all of you got a family, Right. And he says in those two Psalms, don't forget to take your truth and your faith, or if you, if you like the old term, your religion home. 
Live your religion. Live your faith. Live the truth. Don't just memorize the truth, but live the truth. And all, all of those things, so many of them, Psalm 120, 121, 22, 24, 25, 26, 27, dealt with inner conflict. And I, I'm gonna tell you just the truth, it will not end. But here's more conflict. Here's more trouble. Some enemies just won't give up. How many of you have found that to be true in your life? Uh, I'm talking about personal enemies. How many of you have, have enemies that have been enemies of yours for a long time? And they may bully you online. They may have bullied you in school. Shannon, our, our daughter, many of you know Shannon Quintana. Um, that's our second daughter. And uh, wonderful, wonderful young lady. But in junior high school, I don't know how it happened, but she got on the wrong side of Sylvia in junior high. And Sylvia hated Shannon. And Shannon did all she could to maneuver her way around Sylvia out on the playground and heading to and from the bus. But one day she caught up to her and she slammed her up against the chain link fence and said something to her like, I'm going to get you. And I got called to bring Shannon home and we moved her from one place to the other. I said, oh, where does this Sylvia live? I want to go buy her house. I'm going to talk to her daddy about his little girl. And, you know, she needed to know that, that there's sometimes your enemies just won't give up. And that's what the songwriter is saying here. But listen to the treatment in verse three. It says, the plowers plowed my back. Is that visual? The plowers have plowed my back. They've made their furrows long. It's describing being whipped like a slave, being cut to shreds, being treated like chattel, as they used to say. Something that absolutely didn't matter to anybody. Persecution scars that they had personally and nationally. I was back in, in D.C. Uh, about a, a year and a half ago. Uh, we went through, it was one of the museums. There's so many museums. But going through the, this one museum, I'm looking at the books the, in, you know, in the bookstore. And, and there were a number of books on testimonies from slavery um, written in the late 1800s from those that were still alive that experienced it as children. Never forget this one title. The title of this, this, this brother's book was My Parents Don't Want Me to Talk About Slavery. But he realized that story needed to be told in hopes that it wouldn't happen again, that we wouldn't fall back to that. And every, everybody's got a story of a, of a scar. I, I remember when... Um, when Joy and I were living out in the Desert Hot Springs area. Anybody ever heard of Sky Valley? Any, any, I, just, I just need to see if there's one way in the back. There's a Sky Valley. And two, the Sky Valley people are way in the back. I don't know what that means, but we were in a great church out there called the Sky Valley, uh, the Church of Sky Valley, which met at the, at the Sky Valley Desert Retreat and Renewal Center, way out in the middle of the, of the Coachella Valley. And I remember one night, on Friday nights, we'd get together for prayer. And just we'd circle 20, sometimes up to 40 chairs. And it was just a night of some worship. And then who wants, and there was an empty chair. We kept one empty chair there for, we called it the, anybody know? The hot seat. Yes, it was the hot seat. And whoever needed prayer would come and sit on the hot seat and we'd get around them and we'd pray for healing or hope or help or whatever it was. And, and uh, I remember this one gal, we were praying for her after a service and a bunch of us, she was standing up and there, there might've been, eight or 10 people around her. But from where I was standing, I saw a collection of about six or seven hands on her shoulder or on her head. And I, I, I don't know why, but I, I looked at one and I noticed a scar and then I looked at another one and every single hand that I saw had scars on it. 
You don't get through life without scars. You don't get through life without heartbreak. You just don't. You don't get through life without crisis. But you can't let that crisis destroy you. And here he's saying, they plowed me deep. And, and they, they've hurt us desperately. Okay, can you imagine the children of whether it was the Israelis when they were slaves or the slaves in our country and grandkids saying, Papa, what happened to your back? Papa, what happened to your hand? Grandma, tell me, what, what's that from? And to hear the stories that if, if they were honest and graphic would have been horrific. And I, you know, I, I, I don't know how you would answer that. But imagine those, those, those frequently asked questions as the, you know, these, these Jewish people are raising their kids to be lovers of God and followers of Yahweh. And, uh, you know, there's the manna every morning as they're moving through the wilderness. And, and the kids say, manna? More manna? Mama, more manna today? Nothing else? And, and, and then... Maybe the questions about as they're moving through, you know the stories in the Old Testament, as they're moving from one place to another and they're going past one nation after another and they're hearing the shouts and they're hearing the jeers against them and they're hearing the curses and the put downs and the children say, Mama, what is it with the Moabites? Oh, honey, they hate us. Then you, you move on down the road and Mama, what is it about the Amorites? Oh, honey, they hate us too. They hate us more than the Moabites hate us. And then, what about the Philistines? What's with the Philistines? Oh, honey, they despise us. They just absolutely hate us. And you could easily get this, this complex, right? Look at verse 4. They, so so the, this whole thing is developing. The plowers, they've done their thing. But right in the middle of this, it's the middle section, and listen to the songwriter. But the Lord is righteous. Isn't it important to remember that in the middle of the crisis and the trial? The Lord is righteous and he has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. He's cut what they tried to use to bind us, to hold us, to keep us back. God has cut. It's a different kind of cut. It's different than them cutting their furrows into our backs. It's different than the devil trying to destroy us. This is God who's doing the cutting. This is God who has set us free. This is like Paul could have written this song. And maybe he sang this song while he was in the prison in, in Philippi. And maybe he even sang this song after he, he picked himself up, up, up well, with, his, with his buddies with him outside of Lystra when he'd, be, he'd been stoned and left for dead. And don't you love that, that story? How many of you remember what happened in Lystra when Paul got up after being stoned and left for dead just outside Lystra? Where did he go? Right back into Lystra. Instead of running the other way, he said, I'm not done yet in Lystra. God tells me when to leave and he goes right back and then the next day he leaves. But God wasn't done. He went back in and he preached even some more. And and, and so this powerful truth here, God has cut what you tried to do to bind us. He's cut the cords. It's like the bird from the snare let go again. And how did God cut? How did God cut our cords? How did he cut the cords of bondage of our sin? Listen really carefully. How did God cut us free? By allowing his son Jesus to be cut deeply. How was he cut? They worked grooves into his back. They whipped him deeply. 
You, you know the story. You know, and I, I won't go into the graphics of it. You've heard it many, many times. But they, they t- like, just like it reads here. How many times have they cut me? The plowers plowed the back. Furrows were made long. He was cut for you and I so the cords of our sin could be cut. And the cords of our bondage could be cut. And we could know that when we're done here, we go to heaven. Amen? Look at verses 5 to 8. I love this part of this psalm. It says, let those who hate Zion be put to shame and turn back. Let them be as the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he he who binds sheaves his arms. May their crops be wasted. He says, may all of their plans just come to nothing. Neither let those who pass by them, what, their enemies, turn and say to them, hey, the Lord bless you. Now, this might be the songwriter going a little too far in his sense of God's going to get you. Have you ever gone too far in that? And, and told somebody, buddy, I may not get you, but God's going to get you. You know, and David's the kind of guy that writes, oh, God, would you just break their teeth in their mouth? That doesn't really seem like a really, but it's, it's recorded accurately because he felt the same way that you do at times. It's, it's not there to tell you to pray that way towards your enemies. Jesus said something else about how we're supposed to treat our enemies. But verses five to eight, and he said, let me finish eight. It says, neither let those who pass by them say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of of the Lord. You know, you know the, the basic thing that's being said here by the, the writer of Psalm 129 is, hey, haters, you're wasting your time. You're absolutely wasting your time with this unreasonable hatred. Hatred like that usually is unreasonable. It doesn't make any sense. You know, when, when a hater hates you, just what, what can you do about it? You know, haters hate because they drink haterade, right? I mean, they're just they're guzzling that stuff down day after day after day. Well, what can you do about it? That, and, and here's what he's saying. It is a, an exercise in futility to you guys that hate us to fight against God's purpose as we're moving closer and closer to the promised land, fighting against their own blessing. Think about this. They're haters. God had called Israel to be a blessing to how many nations of the world? All the nations of the world. And there were some that blessed them on their way, but there were some that absolutely hated them. He said, the haters are like the grass up on the roof. It's pretty for a little bit, but it is short-lived, and then it's gone. Joy and I used to love when we lived in the desert We'd come in to, uh, to um, you know, Orange County or into usually to Long Beach, but to, to see our parents. And, and it was just so beautiful in the springtime. As you come down the 91 and you hit that place where it weaves through Weir Canyon and all that, the hillsides were just so beautiful and green for a month. <laughs> and then they were just burned up. And just that beige brown, it was just gone. And he says, the haters are, are just like that. Hatred like that is short-lived. It's there, and then it's gone. Let me caution you on this. Don't let the haters win. How, how can you keep the haters from winning? Don't let the haters win. Their hatred is hurting them more than it's hurting you if you don't let them win. If you choose not to hate them back. Don't, don't fight that fire, hatred fire, with more hatred fire. I know that's so easy for Preacher Bill to say, but Preacher Bill has to go through it too. 
and I have to choose. I've had haters that have hated me online and in my face. I've had people yell at me and I've had, peop- I've had people take a swing at me in church, not on the pulpit. It wasn't a worship leader or anything like that, but I've had people that have come after me with fists clenched and, and, and ready to go, but you gotta refuse to hate them back. Listen, don't let their hatred diminish you. Don't let it wear you down to their level or, or don't let it make you bitter. Don't let their hatred cause you, listen carefully, to recalibrate yourself for vengeance. I'll get you. Oh, you may not know who gets you. Oh, but I'll get you. I'll just change my name to another Instagram name and I'll come back with double hatred. And if you're going to talk to me and bully me like that, I've never done that, but I've had thoughts about doing that. And and it's just, it's fruitless. Turn it around and use it as a tool. I mean, really, really turn it around. When you're hated by somebody, we'll get get to what Jesus said about how to treat the haters. But let me encourage you what to do when you're being hated. Develop solidarity in your tribe. Turn to brothers and sisters. And, And not just to mope over what happened, but to realize, man, this is my family. These are people that love me. These are people that are on the same team as me. We're gonna run this thing out together but to develop solidarity with one another and build resolve, personal resolve and us resolve to continue to serve Jesus. Nothing will get us off this mission and develop some stamina. Pain tolerance is what stamina is. Stamina is, is that thing you call on. How many of you ride bikes? I don't mean motorcycles. I mean, you know, bicycles. And you know that the key to riding a bike is legs and what else? Legs and lungs, legs and lungs. That's really, and, and keep your back in, in shape too. But you know that point where you think, I just, I just don't think I can pump one. And, and I'm not talking about you cheater bicycle riders that have the little motor that's really carefully hidden in the frame. I'm just kidding, a little. But, um, but you, you know that the only way you can go further next time is if you go a little bit further this time than you think you can go. And you develop that pain tolerance, the pain in your lungs when they feel like they want to explode and the pain in the legs. And so you stand up, you sit down, you got to develop that kind of pain tolerance. Look for the faithfulness of your God as well. That's how you conquer the hatred. That's how you turn it around and choose to spread. And this is hard. Choose to spread the seed of love. I think Jesus said something about love when he talked to us about how to treat those who hate us how to treat our enemies, what to do about them. This isn't the only time this has ever happened. But back in the 1500s, right towards the, the middle point of the 1500s, around 1550-something, there was a battle between some r- religious guys, some theological heads. And that was the time of the Reformation when, thank God, there was a rediscovery that we are saved by, let me hear it, grace through faith, not of ourselves. And Luther said it, and Calvin said it, and Knox said it. And they all got knocked around like Knox said it, and they got hunted down. And Calvin was in this theological debate with a guy by the name of Michael or Miguel Servetus. Michael Servetus was, he claimed to be a believer in Jesus, but he, he had some problems in his theology. There's no question he had theological issues. He didn't believe in the Trinity as we do. 
and, and other things. And so there was this, this uh, literary battle, and it was just letters going back and forth. I don't know how much of it went public, but between John Calvin and Michael Servetus. And they would correct one another. It went back and forth and back and forth to the point where at one point, John Knox said, look, here, he sent Michael Servetus his book, The Institutes. And some of you have read or heard of The Institutes at, at least. And, and Calvin was the one that, that kind of organized the thoughts that would become the, the, the key doctrines of the Reformation. Still, we argue over some of those. But he sends him his book. And Michael Servetus, scrawling all over his book, corrects John, uh, John Calvin's theology and sends it back to him. Do you ever get a, anything like that? You ever get a letter back from somebody like that? You say, um, uh, there was a, a little girl when I moved out here to California in 1967 from Ohio and stayed with my, my grandmother for a couple of weeks before we left just long enough to fall in love with a little 13 or 14-year-old girl that was right down the street. And so, uh, you know, we saw each other every day and I gave her my ring and uh, we had all kinds of plans. We're going to get together again. I'm in, old, I'm in California down here on Ocean Boulevard for maybe, I don't know, two weeks. And I get a letter that's got something in it. I thought, oh, she's sending me a ring. She did. She sent me back the ring that I gave her. <laughs> and in it was a letter that tell, telling me in kind of, you know, harsh words, I never really liked you anyway, and sends it back, and, but she said it in more words than that. Well, my mama got the letter. She read the letter this little girl sent me, and she took it with a red pen, and she corrected her grammar, and she corrected her punctuation, and I think she said a little something on the bottom of it, put it back in, and sent it back to the girl, and then, there, in your face, little girl. But, so anyway, it was something like that, but here's what Calvin said to Servetus. If you come... If you come to Geneva, which is where Calvin was headquartered, you will die here. It was both a threat and a warning. The, the, the climate then, both religiously and, and politically, was such that they did not tolerate. You, if you read your history, you know the governments did not tolerate these arguments over religion, especially against the Catholic Church at that time. You'll die here. So he came. He showed up in Calvin's church. Calvin called the police on him. He was, he was handed over to the police, taken to prison. And eventually he was killed. He was burned at the stake for, for heresy, for having different theological opinions than John Calvin did. Now, John Calvin, when they came down, John Calvin didn't, uh, he, he didn't prosecute him. He wasn't the lawyer against him. He did stand up and testify against him to verify uh, Servetus's what he said were false doctrines. But when the sentence came down, you will be burned at the stake, which is how they would do it with, with heretics. Calvin said, don't burn him at the stake, my goodness. Just cut his head off or just hang him. And he thought it was a more merciful way to die. But can I tell you something? That's not the last time in a religious argument that somebody's been assassinated, whether it's literally or literarily, where we fight against one another. What did Jesus say about how to treat your enemies? Let me hear it. Love your enemy. And he explained how to do that. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who despitefully or spitefully use you and persecute you. He said, bless them, do good to them, and hate them. And if they still won't receive your blessing, well, then burn them at the stake. No, Jesus didn't say that. That wasn't step four. It was love your enemies. I guess 
that might have something to do with letting them live. That might be a good idea. But God's enemies fight a losing battle. And here's why. When we respond in love and faith and hope, jot these three things down. If you, ever, if you come to Bible studies looking for one, two, and three, here's your one, two, and three. Our enemies lose when we love them with a love that is unstoppable. And yeah, no, 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 they don't deserve it, but neither did we. I didn't deserve God's love. I can't let the hater define my response. Amen? Amen. Jesus revolutionized our game. We have a surefire end game too which is a little bit better than the end game you watched in the theaters a a week or two ago. We're going to win in him. Love your enemy. Bless and serve and pray. Second thing is this, a faith that is indestructible. Jot down this reference. We don't have time to turn to it, but in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, here's Paul as he's being told, you will die if you go to Jerusalem. He says, that doesn't stop me. He said, none of these things move me. And neither do I count my life as dear unto myself. He said, I've already died. I love the story of John Calvert. He was a missionary to the South Pacific. And when the ship's captain was getting as close to the island of cannibals as he would dare go, and they were lowering the boat over the side of the ship as the story goes, the captain and the crew said, sir, please don't go there. You'll die there. You'll die there. And Calvert said this, He said, that would be impossible because I've already died. I've already died to myself. I've laid my life down. I have a faith that is what? Indestructible. A love that is unstoppable, a faith that's indestructible, and thirdly, a hope that is unshakable. Why? Well, because Jesus is really with you. He's with you in your pain. And nothing's gonna change that, amen? A friend, you've heard him. He might have even preached here before. His name is Nick Vujicic, and I'm sure I pronounced his name wrong. Born without arms and legs. He's got a little foot right down here by his hip and another one on the other, other side. But we had a young lady in our fellowship back in 2014 or 13. Her name is Katie Debro, And Katie lost her legs um, just below the knee. And she lost this arm all the way up and this arm just above the elbow and 60% of her skin to spinal meningitis. And uh, we contacted Nick when she'd been in this condition of recovery for probably a month or, or two. And I asked Nick, could you come and would you be willing to visit her? He said, absolutely. So he comes into the hospital room and he's, I have pictures of him just leaned over speaking life and love and hope into Katie's uh, eyes. And, and, um, and at one point, I just wanted to say something. I wanted to contribute something, you know. And so I'm standing, and the preacher should have been quiet at that point, but I, I just wanted to say something. And I said, Katie, you know, God is gonna use this. He's gonna use you in powerful ways. And as I started to talk, Nick is just looking over his shoulder at me like, mm, mm. And graciously, he waited till I was done. And he said, you know, Katie, that's probably true. But what you need to know right now is that Jesus is with you. He's with you. And uh, I just sort of shrunk back to the back part of the room because that's, she didn't need to know at that point what a glorious thing God's gonna do. Just she needed to know that God was with her. See, that's why these singers in Psalm 129, we're gonna wrap up here. That's why they're still singing here. There's no panic here anymore. There's no despair to them. There's danger. Absolutely, there's danger. 
But there's no more despair. Why? Because they've been paying attention all through the course of their life together. And they've watched God give them peace. This psalm is talking about calm in the middle of the storm. And I love this. There is a calm, you could say, in this psalm. And this is this beautiful, peaceful resolve. They stopped looking at the impossibility and they've redefined how to respond in emergencies, in the crisis procedure. When the turbulence light comes on and everybody's ordered back to their seat, there's peace in their heart in those times. And they're saying to one another, oh no, here we go again. Yes, here we go again, but we know what to do now. We remind ourselves that God is with us. We've determined that we're his, he's ours, and we are fine just right where we are. Old friend of mine, and I I can't say I knew him very well, just spent a little time with him. Old Irish guy that was, look, he looked so beat up. He'd been in the Second World War and and had some, you know, close encounters there that brought him to Christ. And and, uh, he was telling us his testimony. And it, it was powerful. And, and when he, how he got saved the day he should have died. And they said, then a little bit later when I was, we, were, we had moved the, 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 the conflict to Northern Africa. He said, there we were in the sands of Northern Africa. I can't remember what nation it was. He said, I got down beside my bed one night, my cot, kneeling there in the sand. And he said, with his beautiful Irish accent, he said, that was the day. That was the day that I nailed my colors to the mast. And I said, ooh, what does that mean? (laughs) He said, when a ship sails, it runs the flag up the mast that represents the kingdom that it serves. He said, I didn't just run my flag up the mast. I nailed my colors to the mast. My life belongs to Jesus now and forever. Is that you too? So you don't focus on the problem, you focus on your faithful protector who promised never, ever, ever will I leave you nor, or, nor forsake you. Re- read it for yourself later. But remember Romans 5, 1 through 5. Uh, ben Corson was with us last night down at, at Refuge and he brought this up and it just, it, it's perfect for tonight as well that we glory even in our tribulation. How can you do that? It's not the trouble that you glory in. It's the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord during the trouble. While we're, while we're walking through the trouble, we're floating through the trouble, we glory in that. Because when you do that, listen closely. When you do that, when you glory in Jesus in the middle of the tribulation, it changes your perspective on the trouble and the pressure and the crisis and the tension. Right now, back home, I am tearing apart an old upright piano. I'm going to make a desk out of it of some kind. And I put this thing online. I said, hey, I want to know if anybody out there knows, is it possible to take, this, to, to take the harp off of a piano, an old piano, while the strings are still attached to it? And one guy said this, if you want to die. He said, if, it's, if the strings are actually connected to the harp and you take it off, if you relieve enough tension, there's seven to eight thousand, seven thousand, I'm sorry, seven to eight tons of pressure and tension on that piano harp. And you get enough bolts off of that and that thing will explode in your face. And he even had calculated how fast those shards of metal would be flying through your body. That really spoke to me as I've been taking this apart. It really did. It told me, don't do that, please, don't do that. 
But as I'm taking it apart, here's what really struck me. I, I, you know, I took all the you know, hammers and the keys and all that kind of stuff out. I'm taking the screwdriver, the end of the screwdriver, and I'm just beating on the strings, and they're still making beautiful music. But do you know why a piano makes beautiful music? Because there's seven to eight tons of pressure and tension on those strings. It requires tension, trouble, and pressure to develop the most beautiful music in you. Amen? I, I could say some other things, but I want to share this song with you right now. It's, uh, it, like I said, it's a, a really, really new song for me. We were in Jerusalem, same time that some of you were, by the way. And uh, we were on the, uh, our trip back in April. I think we were a day or two behind you. And uh, I was packing my guitar up to put it in the... Um, um, do I need to step on anything up here? Okay. That one, probably. And I just started flicking the, the strings of the guitar. And um, that day, we'd been walking in Jerusalem. And um, I saw all these cultures, people of every color. I mean, all the beautiful races of this planet coming at you in different costume, different language. And, and it just struck me, you know, that that's Jerusalem right now. So I started writing this. And to begin with, it was about current Jerusalem, but very quickly it changed. And I want to share this with you. I just want to remind you about this as I start the song. One day, here, here's one of, the, one of the ways, one of the most important things you need to do to remind yourself that it will get you through your trials. You're going to heaven. So raise that hallelujah. You're going to heaven. You really are. One day, a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, and a new you in the presence of God. Listen to this. If you find yourself one day in that city in the sky and there's dancing in the streets hands lifted high and you hear the trumpet blast this might be the new Jerusalem. You see the gathering of nations streaming through the gates. Every tribe and generation, every precious race. And you know there's room for you. And this must be the new death and no more crying no more tears and no more dying no more fear and no more shame all of that is gone in Jesus name anybody want to raise a hallelujah on that amen amen thank you When you step across that threshold on that bright eternal day And you feel the breath of heaven blowing all your cares away Then the lion and the lamb will welcome you into the new Jerusalem When you look upon the throne 
see the one that once was slain And then the book of life is open And you hear him call your name You know you'll fall upon your face To know your home in the new Oh, we will fall upon our face Because we're home in the new Jerusalem No more pain and no more sorrow No more fears about tomorrow All our broken hearts are healed Cause everything is new in New Jerusalem So when you find yourself that day In that city in the sky And you're dancing in the streets And your hands are lifted high You will hear that trumpet blast Know your home in the new Jerusalem. You will know that you are finally home in the new Jerusalem. Father God, I pray that you would fill your family up a little fuller tonight, Lord, with those who would say, Jesus, save my soul. Forgive my sins and make me clean. Prepare me for that transition to home in the new heaven, the new earth, this new beautiful city of the new Jerusalem. So, Father God, just comfort your people in their trials, us, Lord, your people in our trials. Thank you for your presence, the promise of your presence, Lord, and the fulfillment of it. Thanks, Lord. Help us to walk through even these toughest of times when we say, here we go again find your grace to be enough. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Grace and peace.